0: So I went to Blackpool, and I'd got there, and I'd walked there, and I was sleeping under the central pier, and I'd gone, like, I can't remember how long. It was several days without eating anything, and I I was in a bad way. And um, the policeman pulled up in his car, and he spotted me there, and he kind of beckoned me over, and I went and sat in his police car, and we had a chat. And he gave me some money out of his wallet. Now, now I think of it as 20 quid, it was probably more like a fiver, right? But it, it, this was the 1970s, so, it was, yeah. so that was quite a lot of money. What, what
1: 20 quid could buy you It was now. what 20 quid yeah. could
0: buy you now, if not probably more like 30. Oh. Um, and he gave, because I, I smoked then when I mm. could, and he gave me the rest of the fags out of his packet, he gave me his packet of fags and the money out of his wallet, and he saved my life that night, you know. <laughs>
1: Welcome back to the Vintage Podcast. Uh, If you can hear the ambience in the background, it's because we're on Hampstead Heath. You can hear some birds, some branches. Um, Yeah, it's beautiful. A few cyclists. A few cyclists, a few dogs trying to kill each other. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm here with Mark Hamer. Um, He is the author of How to Catch a Mole. Hi, Mark. Hi, Lena. (laughs) Thanks for coming to this hill with You're me. You're absolutely
0: welcome. It's a beautiful day here. Especially
1: yeah. as you hadn't met yet. You might, no. I might have been a murderer. You don't know. You just, just agreed to meet me in a forest.
0: I have met some murderers.
1: <laughs> well, there you go. Um, you can add me to the collection. Um, so we're here on Hampstead Heath uh, to chat a little bit about your book. And I mm-hmm. thought that it wouldn't really honour the spirit of the book to lock you up in a studio and talk about it. No. Um, so I thought you'd bring you out here and maybe we can spot some molehills. See if we can find <laughs> some, maybe some moles. Maybe even some moles.
0: We've We saw a few down the bottom of the the hill.
1: They're absolutely everywhere. Um, Tell me a little bit about how you came to write the book, because it's such an interesting premise, and it's got so much of you in it.
0: Yeah, there's lots of different layers to it, isn't Mm. there? And and I suppose it started off as... I was actually out working in the fields catching moles... And when you do that, it's a, it's a very kind of silent occupation. It's a very mm-hmm. solitary occupation. So you, tend, you have to walk around and look for the molehills and try and plan and figure out where the moles are going to be and where you're going to catch them. And you tend to do it out in fields, miles away from anywhere, and not see people. I mean, I could spend like three or four days and not see another human being at certain times of the year. Um, and what happened was I started writing. I've written for years and years, but I started actually writing while I was out there doing it. You know, little notebook in my pocket, or sometimes tweeting it and writing little haikus and then expanding things and writing and then writing bits about what I could see and what was going on and what I was thinking about. And it kind of just built up and built up and built up into a book (laughs) basically about what brought me to that point, how mm. I got to the point of, of doing that weird job and it is quite a weird job I didn't
1: even know it was a thing until I it's, read your book It's still like. a thing it's, you
0: know, and it's, you, you know, but there we are. especially if you're living in the city it's not the kind of thing you, you're likely to come across very often Um so it kind of built it up into a book, and, and there's kind of my story of how I got there. Also, there are actually step-by-step to step, by step instructions how to catch a mole should you want to do so. It's not a thing that I might recommend that you do, but... <laughs>
1: <laughs> Don't try this at home. But the
0: instructions are there to do it. You know, it's it's a very old craft, I suppose, that's been going on since Roman times, and um, I think I kind of in a way although mole catchers are dying out and people not catching moles as they used to it felt like an opportunity to kind of preserve that craft as well to just mm. write a little bit about what it is and what the alternatives are
1: that makes a lot of sense
0: so that's kind of how it ended up as uh, how to catch a mole yeah.
1: yeah and i think it's really interesting that you like you're in this very solitary place that's actually quite a private life yeah, yeah. but still wanting to write stuff down and still on some level trying to communicate um, did, how long yeah. did you decide what to put in the book that's about you? Because it's quite personal as well.
0: Yeah, there are some personal passages in it, and and I had to think long and deep before I did that because a lot of that stuff. Basically, it starts off. I was I was made homeless when I was sixteen. Yeah. My mother died, and my father threw me out onto the streets. And what happened was, I decided to go on a long walk, which lasted for nearly two years. So I was sleeping. I was sleeping under bushes. I became what's euphemistically called the gentleman of the road <laughs> according to the guardian
1: yeah, i mean i like that <laughs> yeah, so i kind of like it. better than like feral or, uh...
0: <laughs> well i think feral actually came into it as well at yeah. One because you didn't rough. have a
1: tent or anything
0: i didn't have a tent i did have a sleeping bag when i started but i ditched that after a while and ended up basically with a tarpaulin and a blanket because the sleeping bag was a nice down sleeping bag and it got soaking wet through in the rain and yeah, they take cool. years to dry out when that happens but a, a, wool blanket you carry it around your shoulder and it dries out with your body heat you know so so I kind of ditched all the stuff and ended up with a very light pack because I was walking every day I was waking up in a different place and putting my pack on and walking I didn't want to be carrying a whole load of stuff either um when I was a kid I lived in a little village in the northwest of England for a while and there used to be a chap that appeared every year the, and went to stay in the bus stop, and he was there for like two weeks. And the men used to come out of the pub and give him a pint, and he'd sit in the bus stop and eat his pint, and drink his pint. And um, after that, he would wander off. And it's like in those days we didn't have the word homeless; people were tramps, and he was a tramp. You mm. know, he was was a real gentleman of the road. And I kind of grew a bit fascinated by his lifestyle. So when I didn't have any any choice other than to do that. I thought I'm just gonna do it. I'm gonna grasp it wholeheartedly and just did it. So kind of wandered around for just under two years basically. Yeah. Walking the towpaths and sleeping in the woods and getting to know what was gonna kill me and what wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) That kind of thing.
1: And do you think there's something quite like ancient about that? It's something that we that a lot of people don't consider or maybe when they think of camping, they think of quite civilised, you know, camping spots.
0: Yeah. Like, yeah. do, you,
1: do you think there's, there's something about that that connected you more to... to I think
0: very much so because mm. I was on my own, you know, and I would find places where there weren't other people. Mm. Um, so I would take to riverbanks and canal banks when I could find them and just wander along those and then find a nice place to sort of to nest up for the night. It felt <laughs> like a nest rod and, and then wake up in the morning and pick my stuff up and carry on again. And it it was, you know, there was some, it was frightening at times, you know, there were times when I was hungry, there were times when I was very close to death, there was a time when I was starving and hadn't eaten for several days and was starting to hallucinate and had gone beyond even feeling hungry and I thought this is it now, I'm going. Mm. But luckily I was kind of rescued from that situation. Um, I, but a policeman came along, I'll tell you the story a policeman, yeah. <laughs> a policeman came along I was sleeping under a pier in Blackpool I'd made my way to town because the winter was coming basically I needed to find some shelter I thought I'm going to go and find a town I'll find a town that I know, which was Blackpool because it was by the seaside where I think I might be able to find some work to earn some money and to hole up for the winter, find mm-hmm. somewhere warm So I went to Blackpool and I'd got there and I'd walked there and I was sleeping under the central pier and I'd gone like I can't remember how long it was several days without eating anything and I, and I was in a bad way and um, the policeman pulled up in his car and he spotted me there and he kind of beckoned me over and I went and sat in his police car and we had a chat and he gave me some money out of his wallet now, now I think of it as 20 quid it was probably more like a fiver right it, it, this was the 1970s so, it was, yeah. so that was quite a lot of money what,
1: what 20 quid could buy you it was now, what 20 quid yeah. could buy
0: you now if not probably more like 30 oh. um, and he gave cause I, and I smoked then when I could and he gave me the rest of the fags out of his packet he gave me his packet of fags and the money out of his wallet and he saved my life that night you know Um, and I went back and slept under the pier right after a bag of chips (laughs) (laughs) and got up and then carried on and found somewhere to stay um, so I'm sorry, how did we get there to well, this no, point? Well, no, yeah, it's just
1: the, the kind of effect that nature's had in your life, because I suppose yeah. as well, like, you've kind of now re-entered what I would call civilised life, I, whatever that uncivilised life yeah, is. I am, I'm trying, yeah, I'm trying. Wearing a suit and stuff. I, but, um, I, my hat. daughter
0: told me a few years ago, she said, Dad, you're too old to dress like that. And I said, why should I wear a suit? I said, what, every day? And she said, yeah, every day. I said, Fair enough. Well, there you go. You, know, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> you didn't like it till you tried it. No. Um,
1: do you think that time in the wild has really made you see the world differently from other people? Because, you, you know, now you're among I people who have never lived out side and you, you talk yeah. in the book about this, this idea of people being in nature or like yeah. embracing nature and you're like no I, I was nature I was, I was just part of it yeah. rather than visiting it.
0: I think very much so yeah because it's like the, the time came when you get, wake up the sun gets up right the bird, blackbird starts singing then the sun comes up then I got up right and it was just that cycle every day you know mm. so I got up put my stuff together and started walking and you go to bed when the sun goes down and there are animals around you there was you know once you start walking regularly for the all the day a time comes very quickly after just a couple of weeks where you stop thinking about anything mm. your thoughts completely just fade away to nothing and i you know and they, to put it poetically i felt just like a kind of breeze crossing the landscape there were no thoughts going on Mm. You know, And later on, I came to read an awful lot about what happens there and kind of got into Buddhism and things like that. Because
1: it is like meditation, I yeah. suppose your mind's
0: clear. And... But it kind of just happened, and then I wanted to find out what it was that had happened when I kind of came back to the world, really. Um, so, yeah, it does, but there were beautiful things as well. I remember waking up in the morning in a, th- in a thick fog that had come off the river, and I stood up. And I could see the top of the fog, you know, and the trees were a bit sticking out above it and the sun came up and was casting shadow. Just beautiful things like that. I saw some stunning things that I wouldn't have seen if I'd been camping because I'd have been inside mm-hmm. my tent and they would have happened around me and I'd have woke up and opened the zip and, you know, it'd be time to go and put the kettle on. Yeah, to think, time to know. buy some
1: portaloos. Yeah, <laughs> not, exactly. Yeah. Not really the same.
0: No, um,
1: no. So you don't catch moles anymore, no. which maybe we'll get into in a bit, yeah. um, but should we go on a little a little ramble a little and ramble. see if we can... Um, see if we can
0: find some. Yeah. Okay. doke Let's do it.
1: So Mark, we've been wandering. Mm-hmm. We saw a few newer molehills, but mainly old ones.
0: Mol- mainly old ones. How right.
1: can you spot a molehill or a mole, like a mole entrance?
0: Um... Usually you can't see the entrances what you will see is you'll see a, a mound of earth um, it's kind of, kind of I always think it looks like musical notes but without a stave they're kind of scattered either in a, in a line but in a rough line, you know, within a certain area, or sometimes if you're um, by a tree like we're sitting underneath now mm. the, you will see a ring of molehills around the outside yeah, of the tree Yeah, we can
1: see some just down there yeah. can't we?
0: And that's that that's an old collapsed tunnel, and that tunnel's probably been there for years and years and years and years they can go on for generations of moles yeah um and why they like being under trees is because they like the moist earth where the worms live and the moisture drips off the trees whenever there's rain so you get a kind of a particular band of moist earth around the outside of a tree um so that's where they uh where you it? find them in molehills circling the tree so. And
1: is that why they're more likely to fall in? Because it's damper ground. Is that how how does a how does a molehill fall in or a but mole Usually tunnel? they
0: don't fall in. They, they 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 will fall in because dogs dig them up, or badgers or foxes or things like that would would dig the tunnels because they can smell there's a creature down there. Um, horses often will often. Uh, dislodge a tunnel as well if there are horses around to make it collapse. That's just collapsed through where really, I mean just, just general weathering of the earth has made that one go. There's no grass growing in this patch and there's just a little line of tunnel that's caved in and that's, be- that's just because of uh, general wear and tear really through wind and rain and uh, possibly animals and people coming under here yeah Yeah. so
1: the kind of patterns that moles make in the ground uh, there's lots of like superstitions around moles do you think the pattern's part of it but there's there's that if you uh, carry a a mole hand around oh that's to (laughs) prevent i remember reading that in the book and being like what (laughs) to prevent (laughs) rheumatism and evil spirits
0: Moles have got massive, massive hands, and people call them hands. You know, they're paws, but people, you know, they're known as mole hands, and they are absolutely immense. You know, mm-hmm. they're the same size as the mole's head, <laughs> and they're massive things. And they've got great, big, long, white claws on them. And people used to carry them around, thinking that they could cure rheumatism and things like that. Moles have always been kind of objects, animals of superstition, because if you think back to sort of in, sort of in. Some years ago, when people were kind of scared about witches and things like that, there's a creature that lives underneath the ground that you never see, Mm. right? But it destroys your crops, you know, and it makes these tunnels, and nobody knows what it is or where it is, and the mole catchers would come along and catch them um, because they were destroying people's crops. So a kind of superstition built up around them in lots of different ways. Um, uh, Even back down to the Greeks and the Romans had superstitions. I read about... um, Pliny the Elder, who wrote that uh, if you drink warm mole's blood, it will cure you of the ague, whatever that is. <laughs> I have no Good idea tonight. what the ague is, but there we are. In case if you've got a case of ague, give us a bell, I'll catch you a mole. See
1: if we can get it on the NHS. <laughs> yeah. Be like, excuse me.
0: Absolutely. Wow. And I won't catch you a mole, <laughs> though, like, I don't do it anymore. No, 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 very,
1: very sensible. Um, but there is this, this idea of moles. Um, we, we've kind of put them into our kind of cultural heritage. Yeah. So there's the moles in Narnia that you mole,
0: mentioned. There's a mole in Narnia called, um, lily hands. That's right. Lilyhands. Um, and uh, I wasn't a big fan of Narnia, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. Well, but uh, but, yeah. there's, the, but there's, there's Mole in the Wind in the Willows as well. And um, there's a whole series of books called Tales of Duncton Wood, oh, right. which is about a colony of moles who are kind of... They go to war and, you know, they're very powerful creatures. They have a religion and all kinds of stuff. Um, moles aren't anything like that, really. Moles are, are very territorial and very solitary creatures. Um, but, we we you know... I don't know. We do have a funny kind of uh, curiosity about them, don't we? You know, and it's like you see whack-a-mole games and things like that and toys and things. Um, I suppose it's just part of our natural landscape, isn't it? The landscape Mm -hmm. of this island is molehills and moles and badgers and foxes and things like that. They're part of our of our cultural heritage i suppose
1: yeah definitely mm. and you say in the book that um that they are quite solitary and they even kick yeah. their children out quite quite they fast do,
0: yeah and I, th- I think this is kind of right you asked me earlier on how i came to put the bits of me leaving home in the book mm. and as i was writing about kicking the, how the moles kick their children out when they're very young I thought, oh, <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> that's me, and I, as yeah. I looked into it, I found more and more parallels. So I kind of just thought I'm going to highlight those parallels. And it did make it a more personal story. Mm-hmm. But I, I thought for me, it was a kind of exploration, again, as I said earlier, it's an exploration of how I got here to, to doing this job. But moles, um, the female moles will have their, their kits in a little nest. And um, when they're very young, they've only just finished suckling and started eating live food, she will boot them out and close the door behind them and never see them again. And they go wandering on the surface of the earth and nobody knows how they start their own tu- new tunnel systems, whether they find an abandoned one mm-hmm. or whether they're trying to escape predation by birds and things like that. So nobody knows how they start. There's, there's not an awful lot of research done on them. Mm-hmm. Um, so nobody knows why that is they, they eventually they dig into the ground they've never dug before this point because they've been living in their mother's tunnel running around right, and eating the worms that she catches for them um, but somehow she, and then she boots them out somehow they find a way of surviving and, and getting on with life and building their own homes which they stay in for the rest of their lives they stay in the same place for the rest of their lives which is about four years mm-hmm. um, apart from when they mate they go and find, The males would go and find a female and then come back to their same little tunnel system again.
1: Our kind of humanisation of moles. Tell me a bit about how you feel about moles now. Because <laughs> you don't kill them anymore.
0: I don't kill them anymore. And that's an, that's, that's an interesting story, story tied into why I actually started doing it. Mm. Um, and I started doing it, first of all, through because I was working as a gardener and it um, became part of my job Possibly, I was working as a gardener, and people were coming along and being hired to kill the moles because it was kind of a specialist thing, right? And I watched them doing it, and I thought, I don't like this. I really don't like this. I'm the kind of man it it was seemed quite inhumane, just to be killing these beautiful little creatures, putting traps in the ground and killing them, and then throwing their bodies in the hedges. And I thought, this is quite a brutal thing. And I knew nothing and understood nothing about the whole of the cycle of the mole at that point. I understood about the cycles of life and death because I'd lived outside and seen it happen all around me. I've seen you know l- lay under a tree, not that much different to this, and see animals killing each other quite regularly. You know, mm-hmm. seen little lambs having their eyes pecked out by crows and stuff like that before they've even learned to walk. And I've seen all the stuff like that, so I'm quite kind of comfortable with the cycles of life and death. But I. For a point, didn't feel that I had any hand in it, and I'd, I grew up as a vegetarian. That
1: was the part that I was like, <laughs> this "What?" <is> it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and I, so I grew up as a vegetarian, and, and that, this was kind of in the nineteen seventies. And all through that kind of childhood, people were saying to, "Oh, you big girl, you sissy! What's the matter with you? You don't eat meat. You're going to wither away and die." You know, and it's all the kind of stuff that people would say to to people who were vegetarians back in those mm-hmm. days. You know, and you you know, so you kind of having your masculinity challenge, and then I kind of left home and didn't have a father around me, so I had to invent my masculinity right from the scratch. What is it? What who, who am I as a man? What is it to be a man? And there were some questions I couldn't answer for myself. And then the point came along where it, I I had I was put in a position where I could choose to kill something or not kill something. I could let them get on with it or I could learn how to do it. And I thought I'm going to learn. What's the best way of dealing with the moles? So, I did tons of research about poison and gas, about catching them live and releasing them somewhere else, about scaring them away, and all that kind of thing. And I just, at the end, all the research kept pointing to the fact that if you release them alive, they will be predated almost instantly. Because what does
1: predated mean?
0: they will be caught by owls oh, or okay. seagulls mm. or crows or foxes or dogs or cats because on the surface they move very, very slowly and they're really obvious. And they, and also, they need to eat their body weight every 12 hours. So if in you, worms. Kept, yeah, in <laughs> worms and beetles and things, anything that falls into their tunnels, basically. So, if you were to catch it in a live trap, it could have been in there for. If you, on a good day, it could have been in there for two or three hours. Then you've got to find somewhere to put it and release it into the wild, in a piece of land with worms in it which you don't know if there's worms in it mm. but the mole does yeah. where it isn't going to be caught and it, it, more than, often than not it will just die a slow painful death if you do that um, and this is what the research kept telling me over and over and the only way to do it was to get very powerful very fast very efficient traps that would kill them instantly so I invested some money and they're not cheap things in mm. traps and I went and learned how to do it the other part of that story is asking myself could I actually do it I didn't eat flesh of any kind. I'd never killed anything in my life. So the question is, can I do it? And it's a weird question. What kind of a man am I? What kind of a man am I? Am I a man who can do this? Am I different from those other men who go out with hounds or with guns? How different am I? How how the same am I? So I did it, and I got quite good at it, (laughs) to the point where people were ringing me up saying... Mark, we've got moles, they're, de- they're destroying my lawn, or Mark, we've got moles and I've got horses, and the horses are going to fall into the tunnels and break their legs, or Mark, you know, that kind of stuff. And um, and I started doing it because there's also, as a gardener, there's nothing for you to do in the winter. You know, after the growth, there's things you can find to do, but more, you know, it's hard to earn a living, and mole catching is a winter job. So there's many reasons about how I got into it that all came together and uh, that kind of fitted with with my life outside really
1: and it's interesting as well that the, the, the act of more catching is often because people are ringing you going oh you know they're ruining my lawn i yeah. have this idea of what my land should look like yeah, exactly. and they're ruining my exactly. very, very, very straight clean idea what, what do you think about
0: us well this is partially why i stopped doing it because yeah. it just came to be about vanity in the end mm. when i first started doing it i was a gardener and i had this big garden i had to look after and people were coming to do it and if i didn't do it the lady who won the garden was going to pay somebody else to come and do it. And I thought, what do I do? What do I do? Mm-hmm. It's a dilemma. If I don't do it, somebody else is going to do it. And I thought, if I do it, at least I'll do it. And I'll do it in the best way I can possibly find out how to, how to do. Because I was making a judgment about how the, those other men did it. And I don't know what they were thinking. But I made a judgment that maybe they're not. So can I do it better? So, the, you know, it's a complicated thing. You judge people just by looking at them mm-hmm. think. I can, you know, can I do it better than that? You know, I kind of judged them as being brutal and Maybe they weren't. Maybe mm-hmm. they were just perfectly nice blokes, right? Who were doing it in the best possible way they could. I don't know. I made a judgement yeah. and thought I'm going to see if I can do it better.
1: But I suppose the market for ethical mole catchers is probably a, it's a small Venn diagram. Uh, yeah. So I think you probably made a good. I bet. think the
0: market for vegetarian ethical <laughs> mole trappers it's, it's yeah yeah exactly that's, that's, the that's the problem that's the problem.
1: Mark, I'm a bit of an optimist. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry about it, but I I have you this theory. I, I mean, an yeah. Well, I mean, I have to a lot, but in um in my mind, yeah. we're returning a little bit to this idea of it, it, like interacting with the environment in, yeah. a, in a better kind of way yeah. uh, recently especially although I think there's also you know uh, especially you know my generation who are addicted to using our Google Maps to go yeah. anywhere and, and ha- also have that slight digital disconnect with where we actually are and yeah. really like being present and knowing the ground that we're walking on yeah. Do you think we're becoming more connected? Have you seen a change over the years when you've been writing?
0: I've, I've seen. I'm, I'm optimistic for the young people. Um, I, I remember a couple of years ago when my daughter was young right, and seeing her going out with her friends and for the first time in my life seeing young people, teenage, teenagers, going out as mixed groups of boys and girls. When I was young, that never, ever happened. Boys were stuck with the boys and the girls with the girls and they taunt each other, you know. <laughs> until they were twenty, until they were twenty, and, <laughs> they were 20 and then nice. they got off with each other, you know. But so, in that sense, I think there is a different world that people of your generation are living in from the one that I live in and the one that I lived in. And you have access. I th- you see. I think old people know really cool stuff, and I think young people know really cool stuff too. And so, I think we should actually share and communicate and share and communicate our knowledge. We're different and we live in completely different environments. When it comes to living in the environment and using Google Maps to find your way around it, you know what, it's a tool, do it, you know, why not? I haven't got a problem with that at all. Until the satellites go down, (laughs) you know, at which point you're gonna have to learn some new skills. But life is about learning new skills. I haven't got an issue with any of that kind of stuff. I'm not as optimistic about the future of the planet Mm. Um,
1: very appropriate sirens then very appropriate
0: siren going off there, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the angels flying off to help somebody or otherwise i <laughs> yeah. 'm um, not so optimistic about the future of the planet no I, I, that 's not what i mean i 'm not so optimistic about the future of humanity on the planet, mm. I think we are in very, very difficult times I think the the you know with the the population with um the number of houses i see because i travel all around the country doing book things and everywhere i go i see green spaces being ripped up for houses to be built on Mm. um and once you stop tugging at any little thread in nature it has an effect somewhere else in nature um We were talking a little while ago about um, wolves being reintroduced into Scotland and the herds of deer. And the reason the wolves are being reintroduced is because Scotland is covered with massive herds of red deer which strip the landscape bare. And the reason they are there is because we shot all the wolves. (laughs) Because of Red
1: Riding Hood and we were so scared of them and...
0: We shot all the wolves. So now the deer population has exploded. The landscape is being shredded by them. So now... and So the earlier way of dealing with with that was for men to go out with guns to shoot the red deer. Now, there are consequences mostly political consequences about that because then you start looking at who are the people that doing this, do this and why do they do it mm, um, what's their
1: class bracket and yeah, and and you, yeah. yeah
0: levels of privilege and then people paying money to do it and then also there's the thing about going out and killing things just for fun mm. just so you can say you've killed this magnificent beast um, so there's ethical issues around that. But also, there are too many deer. You know, yeah. <laughs> So we're talking about and are introducing wolves back into the highlands of Scotland to control the deer in a more natural way. So we're coming back to the idea of rewilding the landscape. And it is a popular theme at the moment. In literature, it's certainly a popular theme at the moment. And it is certainly something we should be thinking about. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the future of humanity is on this planet but I'm completely confident that should we cease to exist on it the planet will go on and nature will just burgeon and take over all the places that we've stolen you know it will carry on and the planet will be absolutely fine we might not be but the planet will be <laughs> and we're... nature will attain a kind of balance it could take centuries before nature becomes into, a ba- into balance again but it will mm-hmm. but as soon as you tug at any thread something changes somewhere else along the line you know so I don't know what's for the best. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. We've <laughs> I got ex- thought
1: you were going to be able to t- solve no, I, all of humanity's I, I problems in one podcast. Is, I,
0: uh, no, not this one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe next time, June. You <laughs> look at
0: the expen- uh, Extinction mm. Rebellion stuff, right? and I can see people's fears and worries and concerns and their hopes for the future. And we are, as human beings, wonderful creatures. I love human beings. I've not spent a lot of my time with them. Most of my time has been spent out in the fields on my own. And I'm only now kind of getting to spend time with other human beings and I kind of like it <laughs> I'm
1: all right, having, really? <laughs> it's all right really I'm
0: kind of having fun and especially human beings on a one-to-one level even people you completely disagree with you can often find a way of communicating if you just take the time to listen um but I don't know I'm 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 at an age now I'm sort of i've probably got another if i'm very lucky another 20 years left on the surface of this planet so i'm at a stage where i'm kind of looking at it and just enjoying it for what it is mm. and um i haven't got any answers that's not my job anymore but whatever you choose to do i'll back you up <laughs> <laughs> cheers
1: then well, okay, i'll give you an update we've worked give, it out <laughs> give,
0: give us an update and if you want me to trog along i'm in the oh, area right. i'll back you up i'll, I'll give you a
1: buzz <laughs> Um, for, for what I loved about your book is it really made me think about like how I h- how how seriously I take being outdoors yeah. and like how it's not just this activity that I might fancy doing like pottery or you know yeah. something else that I do in my week yeah. but making it more part of my life. Do you have like any advice for people on how to like integrate it more and you know, obviously read the book? Yeah. <laughs> Very important. Read the book. Read the book. But... <laughs> Please
0: read the book. Just get out there and do it. And do it on your own ideally, so that you can listen, so that you can smell. And just pay attention to your senses when you do it. Mm-hmm. I do it all the time. I, I will come out and sit on a park bench. And even when there are people passing, you know, just let the people pass and um, mm-hmm. sit on a park bench and just breathe. And just take the breath in and just smell it. Smell it. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. listen to it and hear the wind through the leaves. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It can calm you right down you can get rid of the, all the worries of the day very very easily because it's really real because mm-hmm. the rest of it when everything is taken away and I, I, Walt Whitman I think it was I can't remember the quote exactly but it's when everything is taken away when all the politics is gone when all the love is gone when all the hate is gone nature is still there you know and it's just a beautiful beautiful life. it's not there to be beautiful it is violent and aggressive and deeply unpleasant to the creatures mm-hmm. and the people in it and to and to the other parts of nature but that is part of the acceptance you know you learn to accept life and death you learn to accept that it is a flow and that you come here and then you'll be gone mm-hmm. and all these other things will come here and then they'll be gone so be here and just enjoy it <coughs>
1: I have a quote that I wrote down okay. that you said that's okay. quite apt about this. Okay. Apparently, well, I wrote this when I was reading. I don't it.
0: remember anything about <laughs> this book just, now. Just,
1: <laughs> just, just claim, claim it, claim it. Um, once you experience this feeling of simply existing, you lose yeah. the need to ask why you exist.
0: Absolutely. Which
1: I think is a really like amazing point. That sometimes Absolutely. we think almost too deeply about stuff and being yeah. part of.
0: I struggled with that question for years and years and years when I was a young man. Why, 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 and. I sort of read everything, from sort of Nietzsche, from Christ, from Christianity to Judaism and Buddhism. I've read philosophy, I've read politics, and none of them have, have ever given me the answer. And what I figured out was that it's the wrong question. Mm. There is no answer to why you exist because you just do. There's what your existence is for. It has no purpose. You just do. The proper question is how you exist. How do you do it? What do I do while I'm here? that's the right question you can answer that question how do I exist how can I exist with love and communication and sharing when there's so much suffering in the world how do I reconcile those two things that's a big big question and it has answers and it's an it has answers that I found my way to and that's the big question I think we have to find our own answers to that one Um, but why I don't know <laughs> yeah. who
1: cares have a walk and have a think yeah. about have it have a walk and have out. a think
0: about it I think, I think the purpose of life is having a walk and having a cup of coffee in the cafe I think that's I it mean... have a little walk and a bite to eat I think that's what the purpose of life is <laughs> and a good book and <laughs> like a, <laughs> a good book
1: like How to Catch a Mole
0: with a good book like How to Catch a Mole it goes great with a cup of coffee Yeah. and a scone, or a scone. your serving suggestion <laughs> That's a serving <laughs> suggestion Depend,
1: depending on where you are a scone or a scone yeah milk um, or I mean, not milk uh, cream or jam first <sighs> I so. wouldn't put you in this kind of position, it's too polarising. No, it's
0: this, this it's good is, to be nuanced. No, about this is things. too difficult, this one, because <laughs> I could cause a whole load of trouble. There's trumpet. no answer to that either. There's no answer to that nice. either. No. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: thank you so much for wandering around Huntsley for me, Mark.
0: You're very welcome. <laughs>